I was asked to talk for a few moments about our family's perspective, the Hatton and Pierpont family's perspective. And I guess uh, good taste requires I be here for a few minutes. But I could just give you one word and sit down. Wow! <laughs> and then because we, our hearts tell us to, I'd have to say, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for all he's done in our poor family's lives. We'll never get over praising the Lord for all he's done. I saw your beloved Pastor Grafe here tonight, and I just said to him, you know, I, can't, I couldn't believe, as Jane and I were making the trip over this afternoon, that we were making the trip for this purpose tonight. You know, I just want to take a few moments here and trying to get my little notes open and get them to cooperate with me a little bit. The way I prepared, I want to just share with you a little manuscript that I wrote for this occasion, and that way I'll know when I'm done and you'll know. After you've been preaching for 45 years, sometimes it's hard to find a stopping place. If I follow my notes, we'll know what it is. Ken, I'm sorry your sister Melanie and Jim can't be here tonight, and Kyle and Chuck, but old Bob Jones said one time, duties never conflict, and they're doing ministry tonight, and we'd rather have them hundreds of miles away in ministry than out of God's will, side by side, would we not? It was November the 3rd, 1958. I was sitting in the Father's waiting room adjacent to the natal unit at Greenville County Hospital in, in the Green County Hospital in Xenia, Ohio. Before me was Karn's History of the Christian Church. I wasn't making much progress in my study. I was prayerfully nervous on this special occasion, this night. After what seemed like too long a time, I heard the hallway doors swing open, and I looked in hope into the room strode Dr. Melvin Kyle with a bundle in his arms. Mr. Pierpont, his strong voice announced, you have an heir. I peered into the rather skimpy blanket in which he was wrapped. Didn't look much like his mother, not even close to his sister. But I thanked the Lord for him anyway. <laughs> Jane and I took hands at a hospital bed the next day, the next morning, and dedicated him to the Lord. We prayed, Dear Lord, please help us to raise him, to grow up, to serve you. I can't recall if I asked for patience in our prayer that day or not. Since I wasn't then that acquainted with Romans 5.3, I may very well have foolishly done so. We would need it. We brought him home to our little apartment that was, uh, neither, had neither nursery nor bedroom. The folding bed in the living room was ours. His sister Melanie and he shared a corner in the dining room for their beds. It didn't cost us much to get through Cedarville then, but it took all we had. His first Sunday, first Sunday school was Emmanuel Baptist in Xenia. And then after Cedarville, we were off to our first church in Peoria. I didn't get to see very much of him as my job at Kroger's to help support us. And then our new ministry took most of my time. I did take time, though, occasionally to bathe. And one of my memorable encounters with him was 
as a baby. It came while I was sitting in the bathtub. I heard hurried footsteps up the apartment stairs. The bathroom door burst open. Smell his breath, his mother ordered as she thrust him into my face. I think he drank your foot medicine. <laughs> there was anxiety in her voice. I quickly tried to calculate how much I'd paid for it. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Jane's frightened demeanor had frozen her in front of me for help. Ever the calm one, I blurted out, Give him a teaspoonful of salt and a glass of water. Down the stairs she flashed with him. On the way she tried to remember what I'd said. Somehow it lost something in translation. She thought I had said a teaspoonful of salt, a, a, a tablespoonful of salt, and a glass of water. Forcing open his jaws, she crammed in the salt. He gasped like a like a uh, he gasped like a toad. Then she hit him with the water. My prescription worked. Did it ever? In moments, she was wearing the contents of his stomach. As for me, I was glad I was in the bathtub. That event was to be a precursor of dozens of other events with your pastor not all that different. On May the 31st, 1963, we thank the Lord that he made good on our life verse, Jane and my life verse, Acts 16:31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Can that night ask Christ to be his savior. He was four years and six months old. His pastor in Grand Rapids at that time was the late Henry O. Behrens of our beloved Second Baptist Church. I like you, he once said to Pastor Behrens in our home. You're a long preacher. I think he didn't mean his messages as much as his tall stature. Christmas Day came in 1966. A tiny church in the Midland area was our family's ministry site for that day. As a visiting parson, I had been asked to baptize a class of young people and one adult. Ken had been hounding us for a long time to be baptized. Now was the time. At the close of the service, I hopped down into the opening of the platform they called a baptistry. Just then I realized why they had told me just minutes before it was filled with the spring run on Christmas Day. Your pastor was to be my last victim of candidate that day. <laughs> we waited, had waited until he was eight so he would remember. We're pretty sure it worked. <laughs> About that time, he was sitting with me in a gentleman's living room in Battle Creek one snowy night. I had told Ken he was my calling buddy. He had charge of the name and information cards. We'd tried to be a testimony to the man and finally left. In the car, Ken mentioned the cards. Dad, I turned his card over while we were in there so he wouldn't see it. Really? Why? Well, it said hard-nosed type. 
I tried to remember how big the man was, and I thanked your pastor. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the time someone talked me into taking our high-spirited son to a guidance clinic to give us some help, some dearly needed help in raising him. Jane and I sat across the room. You're, gonna, you're not going to believe this, but this Jane and I sat across the room as the clinician confidently sat down before our blonde-haired son. Now, Kenny, I need to know a little bit about you. Is that okay? I could fairly see Ken's eyes light up. Oh, questions about me. I could read his thoughts. He would rise to the occasion. Now, Kenneth, the gentleman began, tell me a little bit about some of the things you do with your dad. Well. We go to the dump tub sometimes and shoot bottles and cans. Oh, you go to the dump. Er, well, that's good. What else do you do together? Well, when he goes hospital calling, I go with him sometimes. Uh, you go hospital calling with your dad? The counselor's face was wrinkled. Yeah. Ken was sensing the man's anxiety by now. Oh, I don't go up to the rooms with him. I just sit in the waiting room for a few hours. <laughs> I see, the counselor rejoined stiffly. He scribbled in his pad. What else do you do with your dad? Ken was into it by now. Well, when my daddy beats up on my mommy, I help him. <laughs> I looked at the counselor. He looked at me. I don't remember how it all ended up, but I didn't have to go to jail. <laughs> you guys, I'm not going to tell you anything more about that. You can inquire the rest of it from my wife. You ladies can. <laughs> I take you now to the Riverside School District in DeGraff, Ohio. A few years have passed, and Ken is now a fourth grader at Quincy Elementary there. We pastored a small country church in nearby Logansville. To support my habit, I taught a fourth grade section in Quincy. Mr. Davis was his teacher. Mercifully, he wasn't assigned to me. I mean, he wasn't assigned to me. <laughs> Ken was struggling to read. He came to me devastated early in the school year. Dad, Mr. Davis is putting me in open highways. I don't want to be in open highways. I knew the criterion for that reader was at least one year below grade level. Open highways was the remedial reader in that series. He pleaded as though he would be scarred for life. Mustering all the diplomacy I could gather, I went to Mr. Davis. I knew Linda was in Ventures, the standard group. She was the bright, prim, and cute daughter of one of our deacons, straight A's, also in Mr. Davis' room. Mr. Davis stretched a point. Carrying ventures home every night in plain sight of Linda and his partners in crime and his room did something for him. By the end of the year, Mr. Davis tested him. He was reading at a seventh grade reading level. Now your pastor is a very young teen. He's in youth camp in southern Ohio. It was a class on relationships with others. The teacher was speaking. 
Now, young ladies, when you date a young man, it's your responsibility to put on the brakes when the boy wants to get cozy with you. Ken raised his hand. I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. <laughs> no, sir, he said. That's not right. It's the guy's responsibility just as much. Ken was surprised when the girls present began applauding. Now he's a senior in high school in Greenville, Ohio. As a music student, it's his responsibility to perform a solo under adjudication. The faculty, classmates, and friends, what few he had, I mean, friends, <laughs> sorry. And a few of we parents crowded into the small practice room where the students performed. There was only room for me to stand at the door and look in. About 40 people had made it into the small performance room. Several students performed before Ken. Mostly they did fairly well, and there was polite applause. Then came Ken's turn. He had chosen practiced Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. Ken had chosen to be rated at a B level of performance. With the accompaniment, he began. As he progressed through the song, I watched the reaction of his fellow students and faculty. His voice rose and fell in a wonderful interpretation of the song that, night, that afternoon. At the end, there was thunderous applause, and it startled me. I know it startled Ken. Instantly, his friends began to call out, you should have chosen A, you should have chosen A. And the adjudicators awarded him superior rating. Well, he was a senior also in high school. A country church invited Ken to be their pastor. I was sure he'd do a good job. He had already taught youth and Bible classes in Sunday school for several years. The classes were always lively, as you can imagine, and well attended. Sometimes when we were there sitting listening to him, I would look over to Jane and she would be holding on to the seat, as I was, wondering what he would say next. But the highlight of that pastorate for his mother and for me came on June the 5th, 1977. That night he baptized three teens, 13 teens, and adults, including his youngest brother, Nathan. There's so much more about Ken's life that I would like to tell you. A lot of it he would not want me to tell you. The one thing I think you really should know, though, is this. The Ken that you will see in the office and the one you'll see across from your hospital bed and the one that you'll see with a cup of coffee across your table where you've graciously invited him and the one you see in this place is the one his mother and I have always known. Oh, I could tell you about the $200 plate glass door and how he tangled with it. I could also tell you about how he backed into a car in our yard. He was a little bit upset because, unhappily, he happened to be the owner of both cars. 
What I want to close with tonight, though, is this. I know, Lois, how deeply Ken loves you. I'm not sure you know, but I know, I know how deeply he loves you. And I know you guys and your two missing brothers tonight, how much your dad loves you. And your sister-in-law and your sister-in-law-to-be and all the others that will come along. I know of his love for his mother and me is very genuine and for many others I could name. I know how deep it is. I know how enduring it is. But primarily, I want you to know the greatest love in your new pastor's life is for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Ken's dad, I can truthfully say, and I think for his mother too, that we've never spent a second in our lives in worry as to whether or not Ken would continue to love and continue following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure you'll find that out in the days that lie ahead by God's grace. Undeserving as we are, I thank you for all you've done for us already for our children. On behalf of the Haddon and Pierpont family, I want to thank you from the depths of our heart. God bless you.